I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing that was all started by a mouse. Well, hello everyone out there in podcast land. This is the Beyond the Mouse podcast, the Disney-themed podcast of the Front Row Network. My name is Craig. I am your host for today. And you know what? One of the best parts about having a podcast and co-hosting a podcast is that you are able to talk to people that are far more talented and far more knowledgeable about things than you are. Uh, and the first person that is both of those things, to my right, my other Oh, that is so nice. It's only partially true, but thank you anyway. Now, we should say that uh, Vanessa is not on this episode. She's not uh, off on a trip without us or anything. She's in a bunker somewhere preparing for a very special event uh, through her work. So we wish her all the best, Mm -hmm. and hopefully she's listening to this and uh, knows that we wish she was in Disney as opposed to what she's doing now. Oh, well, I think she's. it's all good. It's all good. It's all great things. All great things. So... uh, I also have with us our classics host, Brandon Davis. How are you, sir? I am doing just fine. Doing just fine. Ready to get into Disney... Disneyland here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we we every now and then we suck you into the you dark do. side. Ha-ha. That is the dark, the dark side. side. It's hardly it's <laughs> anyway. Yes, everything. Well, it is. It's darkness and light and everything. Yes. Yes. Go ahead. Yes. Uh, and Brandon, you're going to keep us uh, on topic with this uh, <laughs> wonderful classic, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Not to bury the lead, but uh, yes, we're that really was the darkness forward. and light I was going to uh, uh, you know allude to, but yeah. you know I didn't want to spoil. But go ahead. Yeah. Anytime you're talking about a movie from '38, you got to have me on. <laughs> That's right. That's no. right. And we welcome back to the podcast an extremely special guest, uh, local animator, and someone that is definitely when I talk about being knowledgeable and talented, uh, you've got talent in spades. Your knowledge we're going to test today uh, as we go through this movie, but we have Dominic Cellini back on with us. Dominic was on with the 90th birthday episode for Mickey Mouse. How are you, Dominic? I'm great. I'm great. feels good to be out of my art hovel. (laughs) (laughs) At the very beginning, I want to plug uh, a book that you just published because we want everyone listening to go out and buy that book. We also are going to have an opportunity for you to possibly win that book as well. So can you tell me about 21 Terrifying Monsters. That's it. Yeah, that's right. So 21 Terrifying Monsters is a humorous book of uh, poems for kids. It's an illustrated picture book, all done by me, written by me, and it is only available on Amazon KDP right now. So that means you can get it for Kindle and on paperback at the moment. But you definitely want it in paperback. I mean, you want the paperback version. I think it, it runs $9.99 or $11.99 or something right, yeah. to that area effect. But uh, you two might not have seen it yet. Uh, but I was reading it to my son, and what's really funny about it is you think that 21 Terrifying Monsters is a really kind of a fun play on the word terrifying yeah. because uh, the poems that you wrote are all about basically like manners, essentially. Yeah. Um, because it's the let, so the, the monster that sits in front of you, and it's this really tall monster <laughs> sitting in front of you at a game. Uh, the uninvited monster, you know. So just like some really cool, uh, the shoe stealer, which maybe is more 
more of your actual monster <laughs> there. Um, the monster who always shows up at the wrong time. Literally, that was me five minutes ago, uh, showing up late to this podcast. So it's just really, a really, really fun book. I really enjoyed all of the different poems in it. And congratulations. This is your first book, right? That's right. Yes. And uh, I noticed what you say uh, about the, the title. I had a lot of people uh, asking, oh, is it a scary book? I said, well, uh, 21 irritating monsters didn't have the same alliteration <laughs> for sure, but, for sure. And you know, um, we have been uh, very greedy of Dominic in keeping him uh, pretty much to our Central Illinois family. And I think everyone in the theater community around here has a Cellini piece done of themselves, a caricature. Um, but we—it's so cool that you're publishing this, and that oh, now the world can experience what we've been experiencing yes. here for years. And um, again, you're just incredibly talented. I'm so excited for you to be here and to talk Snow White, to talk Walt's uh-huh. Folly. This is the end of the Walt Disney Company right here, right, Brandon? That's what people said. That's they what said, people said, yeah. What was he thinking? Yeah, they said you, you'd have damage to your eyes to watch such bright colors for an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Prepare them for animation today. Those dang kids in their rock and roll. It's, it's so funny to hear how that evolves over yeah. time. Right? And their Technicolor, yes. Their Technicolor, yeah. yes. But we're going to dive right in. Oh, and I do, before we dive right in, I wanted to say that there is an opportunity on our Facebook page right now, so Beyond the Mouse podcast, uh, we're going to go and have you share a post of Dominic's 21 Terrifying Monsters, and in the comments of that post, uh, list whatever your favorite Disney animated film is. Now, yes. if you put a Pixar film down there, you're automatically eliminated. <laughs> so do your homework, make sure that it is a Walt Disney Studios animated film, uh, and you'll have a chance to win that. So we're excited about that. If uh, you do not win it, please go out to Amazon, look up 21 Terrifying Monsters by Dominic Cellini, and purchase, uh, you know, five, six, eight copies for your family for Christmas. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we're, we're almost More to the, the holiday merrier. season, so <laughs> yeah. Dominic would love that. <laughs> uh, so let's go ahead and jump right into Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. I'm really looking forward to this discussion, especially with uh, the three of you gentlemen, but Brett, I'll let you start it out by giving us your first impressions of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, how you came to it, what if you remember your first time seeing it, whatever the case may be, um, <laughs> go ahead and give us that. Uh, actually, I remember seeing this uh, at the famed here in Springfield, the famed Roxy Theater, uh, and when I was little, so it was one of the, it wasn't the original uh, showing <laughs> there <laughs> after, um, it was it was some, quite a bit uh, later, but uh, but yeah, so I watched it as a kid. Um, and so that was the first time I saw it, and it was, you know, it was a classic then. I, I'd say that in preparation for today, um, I've watched it, you know, every so often since that, even that since that time. But um, in preparation for today, I watched it again kind of with, I don't know, a quasi-critical eye. You know, I'm loving my Disney. But, um, <laughs> but I was watching it, you know, artistically and, you know, its message and its theme and its music and kind of with a more um, critical eye and was just still blown away by it in, in so many other ways now. So I enjoyed it as a child. I enjoy it as a adult with childlike qualities. <laughs> yeah, Brandon, uh, what's your first impression of Snow White? I'm trying to remember. I, I came to it... Came to it a little, a little later. I think I was into Probably other... VHS. Well, VHS. <laughs> but yeah, I was... 
I was into other Disney movies when I was really, really young, and I probably came to Snow White just a little bit later, but I do remember sitting down and watching it on VHS and my grandma's and, you know, just, you know, enjoying it. You know, I think, uh, I think, well, we'll get into, um, you know, your son too here later, but um, I think you put any kid of any age down in front of it and they'll sit and be, you know, enchanted by it because it absolutely accomplished what Walt wanted to accomplish in 1937 and it did for me in 1990, 91, whenever I probably saw it. And um, yeah, it's it's really amazing. I sat down to watch it again and I'll be honest, I was thinking you know, of course I know all the history behind it I respect Snow White and all of that and I always like, you know, but there are others I like much better and so I sat down to watch it and I, it really struck me this time how good it is. Um, you know, there, there's there's not too much about it that's dated. Um, it works, um, and there's there's just as much in it for adults as there is for kids. Um, it, you know, in the artistry, there's some very adult things about it as well. And so it it just struck me. I'm like, man, for this to have been an 80 year old movie to still work just as well as it did then. You know, Walt was onto something. So <laughs> absolutely, so, yeah. It it really it really struck me this time and it totally earns its place in history 100 percent agree with you and i'll get back to yeah. my most recent viewing here in just a second first i want to go to dominic and talk to you about uh, how you came to this film and uh, sort of your overall appreciation for the film well uh like a lot of people it's one of those movies i kind of grew up with where i probably started watching it further back than my conscious memories can go you know i probably saw it before i was five so it's hard to think uh and recall a time where i first saw it and the initial impression it made but i do remember for a good period when i was very young i thought the movie ended with snow white in the uh, glass casket and i just thought well that's how things were back then. They were harsh. <laughs> These old school fairy tales didn't play around. And I thought, oh, wow, Snow White's a bummer. But, you know, I guess that's just the way uh, those generations rolled. Like five minutes too late or too early. <laughs> but yet, you know, I grew up with the Disney Renaissance movies in the 90s. You know, I had them all on VHS, you know, whether it was Hercules, Beauty and the Beast, Little Mermaid. And Snow White was still one. I watched and enjoyed just as much as those, though, um, despite maybe me getting the ending wrong. Uh, (laughs) Maybe I was always meant for animation. From the animation side, uh, I think I always appreciated it. I always appreciated animation from a young age. I was just um, entranced by it. You know, there's something about watching, uh, like, her bake the cake and watching the dwarves do their things and stumble over each other. It's just... It was just beautiful to watch. <laughs> Ward Kimball would have liked you to see the soup scene that you didn't see. <laughs> oh, no. But I did get to watch it finally because oh, really? uh, it's a part of the deleted uh, scenes mm-hmm. on the DVD release. So oh. I just recently... Oh, go ahead, Brett. No, that I, I, when I was reading that he almost quit because of the two scenes that yeah. were cut, I'm like, wait, that's Ward Kimball. Well, you know, he. I'm glad, I'm glad that while... Uh, in, in, <laughs> insisted that he stay because yeah he had a well you know how career. they got him right oh he did they promoted him for the next film so you yeah. know uh, keep <laughs> it's okay we we uh, wasted months of your work here but we're going to uh, his, promote you his, and obviously his stamp is all over Pinocchio so that's, that's right I was going to say yeah. <laughs> that's right and you uh, you know becoming one of those nine saying. old men right so yeah. um, but no I just recently borrowed from uh, the local library the the DVD copy of Snow 
worldwide. And the only reason I didn't buy it was because I uh, am part of the founder circle for Disney Plus. So <laughs> I, it's it's going to be hard for me to justify buying Disney movies, but that's a whole different podcast. Um, so I I put it in, and I didn't really know what to expect uh, that a three year old boy you know, modern sensibilities on YouTube all the time, what he would get out of this film. And he loves it. I mean, it's like, you know, we, we had to take it back to the library and he, he didn't argue. He, he kindly asked the librarian, even though it was interlibrary loan, if he could keep it. So they had to call the other librarian, make sure that this little boy can keep the, his copy of Snow White for an extra week. Um, he, it's really cool because the the animation I don't really feel like it feels it, it seems like it's from 1937 mm-hmm. obviously uh, there's not much detail say in the in the faces of the humans which is interesting uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about it in a bit but okay. how they went and uh, really tried to study the human form because they were so much so much more used to comedic or caricature type lines and things like mm-hmm. that and that's why I think the dwarves yeah. look better than uh, the humans in this, and again, I'm getting ahead of us there, but well, okay, but still, um, but the in this, in my mind, they're fam- I guess fantastical, they are slightly character. <laughs> that's right, that's right, edit, anyway, so. <laughs> uh, but. He absolutely loved it, and I loved it right along with him. I enjoyed it more, I think, as an adult because I remember watching it as a kid, and it was one of those where I was kind of just moving on to the next thing. I don't, I remember seeing the film. I do remember how it ended, uh, so I'm a little bit ahead of Dominic there. But <laughs> well, I caught up eventually. <laughs> Yay! Um, but. The scene I remember the most, and maybe uh, maybe all of you remember this too, the Halloween specials that Disney used to put on on the Disney Channel. Oh, first of all, one of the best Halloween specials ever because you get the silly uh, skeletons and you get all of these things. But one of the scenes in there is the uh, evil queen turning into the old lady. Yes. And I remember how terrifying oh that gosh. transformation yes. is. It's so great. And, and so uh, my son wanted to watch that over and over over and over again, and one time, I got up to go get some water or something else in the kitchen, and he came running in, and he was terrified of it, uh, because no one was there with him to watch it, because it is a scary moment, but then he loved the the silly song, he loved Hi-Ho, we listen to it in the car now, uh, all of the time, so just, it's it's incredible that a movie is able to bridge that length of time, Uh, you know, talking about 1937, 38, all the way into 2019 and still really have the same amount of impact. Uh, just absolutely incredible. But Dominic, I think what we'll do now is, is really talk about the animation because sure. this was a huge risk for Walt Disney. Uh, of course, he built himself not only on the Alice comedies and, and then uh, Oswald, but then yeah. also at this point, he had had Mickey for about 10 years. Uh, yeah. Mickey debuted in 1928, so uh, had him for about, uh, about 10 years there and decided he was going to go out and make a feature length 90 minute long animation so talk to me a bit about how 
the animation uh, was done mm-hmm. and sort of how that set the stage work for what we have today. Well, exactly. So um, I'm sure you guys are probably familiar, but for those listening who maybe haven't seen this, I really encourage you to check out the Disney short film that came out just before this. It was a little bit of a proof of concept for a movie like Snow White, and it was called The Old Mill. Now, I love The Old Mill because, a bit like your son, I was um, thinking of myself so much because I loved the scary parts. I loved the Disney Halloween animations, whether it was the skeleton dance from back in the 20s or the transformation scene, the wood scene. Mm -hmm. I love that. The Old Mill is an incredible, incredible short. The way it just captures the atmosphere of a storm and being in this old um, windmill. And what it really did is show off the effects animation, rain droplets, all the animals, the way the grass blows and things like that. Um, There's not a whole lot to it, but it really impressed people. I think it won several awards. And that kind of served as a proof of concept to say, hey, now we're going to do this feature length. This is the kind of stuff you can expect for a feature-length film. Now, of course, you know, as we've all said here, uh, nobody um, can really appreciate nowadays how ambitious it was back then because uh, animation, uh, despite being underappreciated now and still not easy, uh, imagine making the first one. The first, aside maybe from some art house European... Um, stuff out there, but a mainstream commercial hit. And it was delayed several times, I believe. Mm-hmm. A lot of people called it, as you said, Walt's Folly. You know, uh, the, He had to constantly add on to the studio. I believe they had to rent out a, a bungalow near the Hyperion studio. It, just were, yeah, in-betweeners. They were training in-betweeners in, while they were creating the film because they needed more people. Oh my gosh. You know, it's funny because Walt in hindsight seems to think of that as the most uh, happy period of his life, you know, the constant innovation. And like you said now about the people, that was something I wanted to, um, uh, something I wanted to bring up because watching it again, um, you can't help but notice the dwarves really are their comfort zone. Really, they really do play to their strengths at the time, which was broad acting, um, you know, cartoony movements, big, exaggerated emotions. Drawing the pretty people, the, the prince and Snow White, they're a little bit, at times they look a bit rotoscoped. Now, I love the queen. Uh, I think it lends to the queen's uh, creepiness a little bit, how um, stiff she looks pre-transformation. Um, now, of course, they still look fantastic, but you could tell definitely they were still feeling their way through cartoon realism. I think it improved quite a bit once they got to Pinocchio, but I think they really hit their stride, I'd say, in the Silver Age a bit more with movies like Peter Pan, Alice in Wonderland. I feel like with each generation of Disney animation, they've gotten a little bit better as that um, cartoon realism, especially in their leads. Now, I uh, I don't know the answer to this, and I should, yeah. but I don't. Um, did they use the multiplane camera uh, for yes. Snow White? Was that created for I'm this? Just film? Bring this up. Okay. I don't know if it was created specifically for this. Because- I'm impressed. Sorry, I'm sorry. I'm impressed, Greg. You, you are. You know more than you think. I know. You're good. You're so good. Go ahead. I'm sorry for the interruption. No, I know. I'm trying to think. I'm like, oh gosh, do I know anything? These guys don't. Yeah, you guys know your stuff so much. Sure, you do. I mean, I. 
because there is so much about uh, Snow White out there, you know, if you want to look. But the multi-pane camera was a huge deal, and it was used, I think, all through the Renaissance, wasn't it? I know certain tools, once like Deep Canvas and things like that came out in the 90s, Deep Canvas had, of course, a very short-lived life because it was so expensive. But uh, the multi-pane camera, I believe that may have started in the old mill, but I, don't I quote me I think they were using that. it in the Silly Symphonies. That's what I thought. Which was there were a couple times. The old times. mill was part of that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but it was the first time. And, it, and it actually, just in, in, in my research, there, was, um, there were multi-plane cameras prior to Disney, but they kind of brought it to the fore- forefront and used it more and developed... Um, multi-plane cameras that um, could do more. So That's right. And I, uh, uh, Ub Iwerks, you know, is a big, you know, credit for that. Um, as much as his name has been kind of lost in history compared to Disney, um, his story does have a happier ending in the sense that he does become a legend in that field, and his contributions don't stop at Mickey, thankfully. With the multi-plane camera and other feats in animation, he had a great... Um, he had a great path ahead of him. Uh, some other people that get a little bit overshadowed by all the star animators, of course, are all the ink and paint girls who worked on these classic movies. Which is why it's so cool that, I, and I don't know if you know this yet, uh, yeah. maybe this is something, maybe I'm breaking <laughs> news. If you yeah. already know it, then uh, just tell me, just lie. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but Disney Plus is going to do a whole uh, series on the ink and paint girls. They're, oh, they're no, I didn't hear about this. Yeah, uh, there's a book. And there's going to be yeah. a book as well. Uh, well, there is a book, Ink and Paint. Uh, I don't know if that's actually authorized Disney or whatever the case may be, but uh, Disney Plus is going to have a full-blown series on not only the animators and some of the Imagineering that went into the parks, but also uh, to the ink and painters, too, so that'll be really cool. Is it like a docu-series or like a dramatization? A docu-series. Oh, okay, that's awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. Awesome. so you can nerd out to it a little bit. Which <laughs> this is really also awesome. a Disney Plus commercial, just in case you didn't know. So. That's well, I can't keep up with all the stuff coming out on Disney The two of us, I know, are already signed up for it. But Brandon, did you have to end up doing the deal or no? no? I, I mean, I'm sure there's, not, there's more deals. You're more of a physical. I, I tell you what, I sat and watched that Blu-ray of Snow White this week. I said the resolution on that, the streaming just hasn't caught up yet. That, so that is, uh, that's true. So Brandon, <laughs> put this in context from a historical perspective of where uh, film was at the, in mm-hmm. this time. Um, you know, I think, when I think of classic film, because you know me, I, I I don't have a huge library of that, but to me, it's like film started in 1939, right? With all of those huge, major hits that would come out just a couple of years later. So, mm-hmm. so put us into context where we are uh, and what Walt's facing as he's right. uh, getting and developing this. Well, I mean, Hollywood's booming right now. Because it's um, you know the only business to make money during the Great Depression yeah. was the movie business because mm-hmm. that was what you did if you you would pay your quarter your fifteen cents every week and went to the movies. Um, Walt, uh, when you look at what other studio heads' reactions to what Walt was trying to do uh, was pretty much he was visited by almost every one of them and they all said stay in your lane basically to him don't don't come into our lanes at all don't try and do you know this you know do your silly little cartoons but you know that this isn't going to work they said and uh, i looked at the budget here and he wanted originally to do snow white for 250,000 which is 10 times the budget of what a silly symphony cartoon was going to be <laughs> and of course it ended up costing him over a million to put it together which they wow. thought was going to bankrupt hollywood as well um, so up to this point, we hadn't really had too many 
huge blockbusters. King Kong had come out in 33, and that was a huge step forward in terms of puppetry, in terms of using clay animation and something, that was another movie that nobody thought would work and it became like the first really huge Hollywood blockbuster. So Walt had at least some precedence that hey, fantasy in this realm can work and it can work in a full length feature but like I said, there were critics who said you know, no one's going to sit and watch a cartoon for 90 minutes no adult at least and you know, and adults aren't going to want to Company their kids to this, and so uh, Roy Disney tried to talk Walt out of it. Lillian tried to talk him out of it, and he ended up having to mortgage his house in order to put this up. So you know, like I said, Hollywood was in a very stable state right now, but they thought this would kind of push it over the edge and you know bankrupt a lot of their resources. It's really easy in hindsight to go like, well, why did all? Why are all these people so negative? And yeah. and you understanding that Walt had been through a lot at this point, uh, essentially. Uh, kind of, you know, the true rags to riches kind of a story, right? Uh-huh. Uh, from that kind of turn of the century into mid middle century America, uh-huh. um, probably no no better story. Uh, right. <laughs> but the I, I'm trying to think of a modern day comparison to, like Dominic alluded to having animation for the first time in your film and and this is a poor comparison so try not don't roll your eyes at me too much but is it uh, when avatar came out yeah. i had to go see avatar yeah. i could really care less about blue aliens running <laughs> through the forest but yeah. from a visual spectacle um, that first weekend it, it was one of those films that really yeah. built over time it was in the theaters for like well over close to a year or something like that yeah. but it uh, it really built over time because uh, people would uh, just talk about the 3d aspect of that and to me like that's that's even a poor comparison because yeah, yeah. this is saying of course there's been movies i mean you could see fern gully the same time that you could see avatar and see the same film but uh but it's the amount of like just jumping into the unknown mm-hmm. and seeing an animated feature for the first time. It's well, hard to think so completely new. Completely original. It didn't happen before you know, this. Roger Rabbit was totally unique. Yes, in this, and so Toy Story was unique. Toy Story. But at least there was precedence for some of that before all of those yeah. came. This was totally uncharted territory. Today it'd be like, I want to make a virtual reality movie. Mm-hmm. It's interactive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what it'd be yeah, like. It's yeah. We've had games. We've had games like movies. Yeah. No, this is going to be a feature length. This this was <laughs> is the Hollywood community. Are critics or, or is anybody going to take this seriously? And again, yeah. in hindsight, it's easy to say. Well, of course, people are going to come out for the innovation aspect. I mean, I ran to the Black Mirror episode that was kind of like a choose your own adventure. Black That's what Mirror. I was going to bring up. Um, you know, just right away because I was like, oh, it's kind of cool. It's kind of you choose and you you have to yeah. pick and um, it's a different experience. It's a different yeah. you know. So I, I had to check it out. Yeah. And so uh, it's just interesting that people didn't have that, for, that foresight right. to say, oh, well, this is going to be brand new. So people may really want to check this out. Plus, Walt Disney at this point, I mean, he's really on a roll with Mickey. I mean, there, mm-hmm. there's so, so many stories, uh, particularly yeah. in the Neil Gabler book, which Brett has sitting on the table here with us. But uh, stories about I always have it with how uh, <laughs> it's like no, don't. Just it's Brett's Bible, <laughs> uh, no. how, how you... Um, 
how Lionel Trains was in a lot of trouble, but then they made one Christmas they made a Mickey train sold out yeah. beyond saved belief, the uh, saved the company, yeah. and that's a company that we think of when you think of toy trains, you think of Lionel, mm-hmm. um, you know, and just other examples of uh, the three little pigs three little getting pigs. people through the Great Depression, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and how that was. Huh. Perceived. So there's so many great stories in that Gabler book. So I would yeah, definitely and, recommend people check it out if they want to. And if you think about it, Walt Disney could have very comfortably stayed in that lane yeah. his whole career. You right. know, Warner Brothers and Chuck Jones, the, you know, they made Looney Tunes, Bugs Bunny cartoons for decades and never mm-hmm. went to the scale that Disney did. So he very yeah. could have comfortably done Mickey cartoons for the rest of his life. Don't but ever put like down him. Space Jam. <laughs> we got an we, like we did equals. finally get it. And oh, it was yeah. incredible. <laughs> I have no idea you're talking you're talking about Fern Gully and Space Jam. I don't know what these references are. For a millennial, you have to pretend they're masterpieces. No, that's not why. <laughs> that's not why I am not aware of those films. <clears throat> SKG. And other anyway, go ahead. Well, Brett, I've been uh, ignoring you and talking to these two, and maybe it's no. because uh, they are just giving us some fascinating stuff. So bring the fascinating for me here. Brett, talk to me no a bit about you have a. What's really interesting is you have a variety article from the the time of the cool. premiere. That was so and cool. I tell me what variety this. thought of. Well, the film. As, Vanessa's not here, but she would not want me to read it. You know, right. on the radio because Absolutely. I've learned that. But to surmise, the writing style is charming because it's from 1937. Mm-hmm. Um, their audience for this variety article are, um, you know, this wasn't online for everyone to watch, so this was for the industry. Right. Um, it's it's basically saying, no, we have a winner here, and <laughs> he is a genius, and you have a film that, that you originally think um, is just for kids, but no, it's going to be for everyone, and uh, yeah. Well, what does it say at the end? Anyway. Anyway. Pictures should keep the wicked spinning for extended engagements everywhere. <laughs> Sorry, Vanessa, but anyway. But it was just interesting. Oh, my gosh, because they are speaking to the industry. Yeah. It was an industry it's paper an industry. at that time. Yeah. So, But this was from December 28, 1937, 11 p.m. Pacific time. And a variety so, blessed it. That means you know, yeah, the industry. They're saying, hey, it's okay. It. Yeah. You can, you can so watch this. You'll be fine. so cool <laughs> to read that. So, well, I just had this whole new appreciation yeah. for this film. I, I think prior, ooh, residual chills. Okay, that's always a good sign. Um, prior, I always kind of thought, well, what is my classic Disney favorite film? And I would say Sleeping Beauty. But in the past mm, couple of years or so, as I revisit the classics, you know, and uh, Snow White is the fairest of them all. <laughs> I'm like going, which was going to be my tagline at the end. I sorry, I scooped that too much uh, too early, but. I just have this such a deep appreciation and reading the Neil Gabler book and the other uh, articles. Uh, and then I think it was, I th- the artistry, yeah. Dominic, mm-hmm. the artistry in this film yeah. is is really, it's, it's setting such a high standard for them that they could yeah. really artistically only yeah. support for maybe one or two more films, I right. would think. Mm-hmm. You know, the style right. the style for this, you know, kind of these... And my question was, you know, like for yeah. the backgrounds and everything, are they a watercolor or gouache or a combination? Or Oh, I believe they were a combination. Yeah. So yes. Aren't they gorgeous? They hold up great. Oh, my gosh. And then, so, so, we have, so we have Snow White, 
mm-hmm. to begin with, and then Pinocchio, which mm-hmm. some which say is, is artistically even you know even to the next level, probably because yeah. it was you know the I second think. film, mm-hmm. and then they kind of move from that style to something that was probably mm, maybe easier to do, didn't take as much time, mm-hmm. um, but they learned right. from each of their films, so the next film could build upon that. But as right. far as the detail. It's just mm-hmm. fascinating. I was watching. It was I was as I was watching it. I was and then doing the research. You know that they they had like classes on watching how fabric would would blow in the wind. Oh yeah. You know yeah. how you know how the dwarves' beards would you know w- the wind would affect that. And I was looking at the shadows in the film. Uh-huh. I'm like going. Someone's job was <laughs> was to make the shadows for all of the characters I... throughout. <laughs> you know. I think the only the only thing and I and I don't really know this for sure, but it looked like the light source was slightly was about the same throughout because like the day and the night or like the afternoon and the morning were kind of similar. That was the only thing that I found that was like questionable, but I am not going to, I'm not going to nitpick that (laughs) beautiful film. The other thing, um, when I was watching it, the water, Mm -hmm. the reflections, like the reflections in you know, as the film starts, you know, um, there's no shortcut with way to do that. I'm wishing the rippled images. Yes, and I'm wishing. Mm-hmm. How did they, uh, you know? Uh, it's just pretty gorgeous. incredible. Gorgeous. Uh, so they would spend uh, at time usually like a, a second of film took up to a, a day or two to complete, and so um, just the amount of time, the amount of frames that they had to go through, the amount of times they were drawing these characters. But uh, I was listening to a different podcast in preparation. I didn't yeah. want to be too far left behind with all of you. Uh, so I listened to the Disney History Institute podcast. I'll cite my source, particularly for Vanessa. Oh, uh, yes. But, uh, so go check them out. They did a great episode on this. And they actually uh, did the whole thing from Ward Kimball's perspective. So they did it from you know this up-and-coming 21-year-old uh, who would go on to become, obviously, a legend in animation, but kind of from his perspective. But one of the things that they mentioned in the style, and you hit, you touched on this a bit, too, mm-hmm. Dominic, but the uh, the line work uh, yeah. of what they were used to is they were used to really really solid outlines because they're uh, drawing these things that are otherworldly, right? They're mm-hmm. drawing Mickey Mouse and they're drawing the Silly Symphony and the Three Little Pigs. But when Plus they went realism. to humans, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. when they went to humans, they they really didn't want to do that because we mm-hmm. don't have big black outlines around no. us, right? <laughs> so, and I think that that uh, for me is the only way that the animation looks dated is there's sometimes where you see Snow White and it's almost like she's just a, a round blob of yes. her face. Times. It brings it's an ethereal quality. <laughs> well, at times it almost looks rotoscoped. And I don't believe yeah. they used a lot. Now, of course, one thing, you know, you... Um, brought up is just how much they had to learn as they were doing this you know uh back then think you know you went to school maybe to learn fine illustration but there were no college courses in movie making and animation yet you learned at disney a lot of artists uh didn't even go to art school certain ones just showed up they're like i can draw they're like all right well we'll show you how things work Uh, as far as how like snow white looks i always think it's interesting to also look at how disney princesses reflect the beauty standards of their uh Mm-hmm. of their time and whatnot. She definitely looks like a starlet from the 30s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, yeah, they used that sort of those... Well, they used... Uh, 
they Walt wanted a very innocent look mm-hmm. with her. I guess that they kind of went after sort of a Betty Boop sort of idea yeah. and showing I, her ankle and, and something. I, and I, I'm I'm say, that was you know that's the no, one no, thing no. that dates the movie for me. I, and it's not so much her look; it's her voice. They get she's yes. a, it's a very Betty Boop sound. It's where, where, whereas you look at Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty, they have very classic sounding voices. Whereas she's very specific to that time period. <laughs> now I, I want to throw this out there to yeah. see if any of you know the actual uh, story behind this, because when people want to complain about Disney and, and try to make Walt out to be this this villain, uh, uh, one of the things that they say is that he really, um, because of the contract that he gave the voice actress that played Snow White, mm-hmm. she wasn't able to work ever again in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Brandon, do you know is that like actually somewhat accurate, or is that uh, just one of those things that people say? I, I believe it is accurate. I haven't. Um, uh, Brett might know actually more about that than I do, but um, I, I know some. You know, everything with Disney goes into myth a lot of times, right. so you never know exactly what's true and what's not. But but yeah, I believe that is true. I yeah, in my research, it showed. I mean, well, she was kind of a child. She was very young yeah. when when this was uh, created. Um, well, yeah, she was under twenty. Around tw- under twenty, um, but yeah, it was uh, the contract was so specific that that as far as her career, she had a small part in the Wizard of Oz, but other oh. than that, um, she wasn't able to, you know. Well, so she was in the um, she was in the chorus of the so when they recorded the musical number, she was in that chorus. Yeah. So uh-huh. you can hear her voice like during "You're Out of the Woods, You're Out of the Dark, You're Out of the Night" and all wow. of that. So, um, Brandon, then let's put it into context. Is this some was that something that might have been out of the ordinary at the time, or now during the studio system, the studios right. essentially owned actors and actresses? Yeah, right? although Disney. That studio was set up very differently than, say, MGM or Warner Brothers because he didn't have a, st- you know, a, a Warner like Warner Brothers or MGM, you had your stable of stars that you have working for you every week. He didn't have anything at that right. point. He wouldn't have that until the 50s and 60s when he started doing live action yeah. stuff. Um, so he had his voice actors, you know, that he would hire, you know, basically hire for a movie or two. Um, so, but, but, but this is something, but, but yeah, this, he was, he ruled over that kingdom and he had the power to do things like that. And it's, her voice is very specific. And even, you know, when you would, years later, when you would hear interviews in like the, the various, you Mm -hmm. know, anniversaries of the film, you know, I mean, she could still do that Mm -hmm. voice as a child. Like, you know, some of the other actresses that performed the, um, was it the Alice and um, mm-hmm. Alice and uh, and Wendy? Wendy. I mean, she's still Catherine Beaumont. She yeah. did voiceovers until recently, or if mm-hmm. not still for um, uh, for the rights at um, at Disneyland. She was doing like the spiels for him, but anyway. <laughs> uh, but yeah, her voice I, is very very specific. I, and I did actually find something. She he didn't give her you know screen credit on the movie, and which gave her trouble finding opportunities later. And oh. Jack Benny, who had a radio show at the time, asked Disney right. for permission in order to use her on the radio show. And Walt said, "I'm sorry, but that voice can't be used anywhere. I don't want to spoil the illusion of Snow White." Yeah. Okay. Okay, so, so it is, it's not myth yeah, then. It's not it is myth actually, so, yeah. and maybe in and uh, which maybe yeah. a bit over. So maybe a fair point against yeah. Walt, right? Oh yeah. Well, could be yeah, controlling. From a, from a, yeah. <laughs> really, well, which, could which be from, controlling. Which, yeah. from a business standpoint, kind of makes sense, but sure. still, you don't want to. <laughs> 
Right. Well, if she, if she, well, if she had a little bit rangier voice, yeah. <laughs> she could do I mean, other things. I mean, so it's the actress. It also, it also says you can hear her because basically she had a little bit part. You can, she's she's the singer in the bar while Jimmy Stewart is praying, and it's a wonderful life. So she did oh. little things like that. Well, really good. Well, good. You rangy, <laughs> you rangy actress. You, you go. You want to work? You do have to do something a little different. But, but, and I've told Craig this before. If you, um, I listen to Leonard Maltin's podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a major Disney historian, and uh, he talks about he's interviewed Disney-related people his whole life, and he'll say when when you talk to people who worked for Walt in the 30s and 40s, they have an incredibly different opinion than the people who worked for him in the 50s and 60s. Because ah. they said when you get to the 50s and 60s, he became Uncle Walt. He was very yeah. very comfortable now, and his his success wasn't quite as ambitious as he was in the 30s and 40s. Right. So it's almost like you're dealing with two different men the way that they talk about him. So. When you think back on uh, classic moments of film, uh, Snow White doesn't necessarily come up on the AFI's list of top 100 films. But it's not in the top 10, right? No, no, no. Um, And it doesn't come up as you think of The Wizard of Oz and how Mm -hmm. revolutionary it was that it it involved color uh, and the the way that it transitioned into Oz. Mm -hmm. Um, You think about a film like Citizen Kane and and how the cinematography, that's really the the staple for anybody going into film school is to watch that, that Orson Welles film. But why do we think, and I'll start with you, Brandon, why isn't seemingly this not given the credit that it deserves in our uh, in our history of film or, I mean, or am I wrong there am I just am I just missing it no I from from the documentary stuff I watch I you know I, I think just the reason it's not ranked higher on like AFI's list is you know animation still has not fully been given the proper credit it deserves I think Snow White fully has its place in cinema history which is why it's the highest ranking animated movie on that list I forget what the actual ranking is and I'll probably look it up here at some point but um, I I just think it's fully because animation hasn't gotten fully the credit it deserves I think I think Snow White's place in history is fully there. And and when you look at the stats and everything and how huge of a blockbuster it was, I mean, um, you, I mean, but that's pretty. It, easy adjusted to, for adjusted for uh, uh, inflation and it's all that, 10 it's one point on time list one point seven billion. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. You know? and I just I did look it up. It's number thirty four on the list, so it's in the top half. I I brought a soapbox along with me, Dominic. But if you want, I'll I can pass it over to you if you want to do uh, from the animator's the perspective. Um, so let's talk about uh, why why you think that uh, this film isn't. And I mean, of course, it's it's thought of and it's right. remembered, but it's not. It doesn't come off uh, immediately no. as one of those films that uh, is. Just classic in film history. So tell right. me, tell me what your thoughts are on that. Right. I mean, I'm not going to go on the um, you know the classic <laughs> animator diatribe of animation doesn't get its due, you know, Oops. in <laughs> the same way, of course. That it's um, you're right. It's not brought up though in the same breath as something like a Citizen Kane or The Godfather or Gone with the Wind or Castle something Blanca, like that. Yeah. Exactly. Depends on who you're hanging out with. That's anyway. right. <laughs> but yeah. I think it, while this movie in particular is appreciated for. Um, what it is, I think it's appreciated as kind of more the start of a legacy of Disney films, rather than 
the technical achievement that it is because a lot of your average moviegoers still don't fully appreciate or have the understanding of how animation works. I think when you know you see live action, there's a little bit more of a sense of wonder with certain people. Like, well, how did they do that? It had to be real. I think with animation, especially nowadays with how far computer tech has come, a lot of people have this kind of, well, it's just... That's what they do. You know, it's animation. You know, there's a little bit of a separation from reality. Um, I know most people know the gist of it. It's drawings and whatnot. But there's a lot of people I have to explain when I say I work digitally. I say, no, no, I'm I'm still drawing it. I don't type in a couple commands into the computer and a drawing and a book Mm -hmm. comes out. (laughs) All those things do go into it. And while digital tools are, you know, a huge advantage, have made my life considerably easier, your appreciation deep deepens when you understand the analog way they had to work back then and just the back-breaking labor. The amount of drawings and animation those guys produced back in the Golden Disney era is unheard of today. Yeah, millions. I mean, it was like, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. Now you uh, you brought up something that uh, I want to I want to take us down this path. <laughs> oh sure, yeah. Go you, ahead. you might not have even thought a rabbit hole a little early. A rabbit hole, I like you. Will. You mentioned that this is thought of as the start of Walt's legacy. So yeah. let's go to the alternate timeline mm-hmm. where, because of World War II, yeah. and World War II really kind of helped the studio survive yeah. uh, after Pinocchio going into Bambi and all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were doing a lot of propaganda film for right. the U.S. government, and so then that's we get Walt's legacy in part because of that. Let's Mm -hmm. take it to the other side. Uh The only films that Walt Disney brings out are Snow White and Seven Dwarfs Uh and maybe uh, Pinocchio and possibly Bambi. Uh At that point, Mm -hmm. does this uh, in Fantasia, Fantasia. does this does this then become one of those greats because it's so unique? Uh, mm. What are your What are your thoughts Ooh. there? In the alternate timeline, is this like is this next to Citizen Kane because uh, we didn't get what we have gotten? Well, Ooh. I go, go ahead, Brandon. No, yeah, I, you go first. I think in retrospect, yeah. you know what? Had Disney not become this huge mega millions company that kind of has this sort of you know, negative connotation to it now, and Disney had just made those four films. I think artistically, those four movies might have even more merit now, possibly. Yeah, a little bit like going off of what art you versus said. commerce, baby. Exactly. So. <laughs> I think sometimes people look back um, with the princess films, particularly, and I think they have a tendency to look at them like products, like what I said, and you know what you're going off of a little bit. The start of a legacy, almost like Disney is a brand. You know, yeah. where. Well, it, it, Started it really? Well, when people, the idea of merchandising? Uh-huh. I mean, yeah, the, I mean yeah. But there was there was merchandise for Snow White available from the beginning, right? And you think of when people spoof something and they want to make it, you know, Disney. You know, what are they usually spoofing? Snow White, the princess singing with yeah. animals coming in and whatnot. That created a language for those types of things and how we see princess movies, how we see movie musicals and whatnot. Um, I mean. It's hard to say because Disney really just kind of cleared the path for animation, you know, for future animation for, what, half the century, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Plus also, yeah. when you're looking at things, everyone tends to view things in a, either either rather revenue or uh, re- Revenist? No, sorry, was there what's the word? Reverence? No, no, no. Uh, revisionist oh. view. Yes. Uh, right. You know, like 
they're taking today's values and mores and putting them, you know, oh, looking, yes. at, yes. looking at that, of which course. I'm like going, so the princess and just, you know, wanting the prince and all of that is, it, it's a very simplistic view Why? now and very misogynistic and, you know, based on culture and all that sort of thing. I'm like going, let us go back to a simpler time mm-hmm. when this is new. Right. I you always know, tell people you've got to put on your 1938 yes, glasses you when you watch to, a movie from 1938. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think about people welcome tropes more. I mean, I'm sure even back then it was somewhat of a trope, but when you're getting it in a new, exciting package, you know, you accept the tropes. By the time Star Wars had come out, Star Wars wasn't a new story in 77, but it felt new because there had been nothing that done it quite like Star Wars. People at the time knew, yeah, it's a guy, he saves the princess. It's a classic Joseph, uh, I'm sorry, um, Campbell. Um, what's his name, Campbell? Uh, the Joseph Hero's Campbell. Journey. Joseph Campbell. Okay, that's, I was right. <laughs> and Flash Gordon, essentially. I mean, he, <laughs> exactly. Lucas essentially copied Flash Gordon. So. And there's Wizard of Oz elements in Star uh, Wars and all that. Right, and I know, you know, with Disney stuff, like I said, people tend to view the princess stuff as a bit of a brand, you know, very commercial. So I know like what you were saying about had it just been that, it hadn't become this mega empire that Disney yeah. is. I'm sure, uh, you know, the animation hipsters would have looked on it <laughs> a little more fondly. It'd still be in art houses. Yeah. Oh, bring it back. <laughs> exactly, so. exactly. We'll have a new appreciation for it. Right. Commercialization can sometimes, um, some people have that kind of a binary view of mm-hmm. it. You know, the more commercial yeah. something mm-hmm. is, the less artistic yeah. integrity. I, I don't think that's true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Wizard of Oz is a very commercial movie, and it's in the top ten. So, yeah, that's know. what I'm saying. But, so, the animators need to get their due a here respect. R E S P E C T over here. So, that's right. Um, couple of things I, I wanted to mention uh, along with the film. Really interesting that one of the things that they were so concerned about uh, releasing this to a commercial audience was whether or not uh, audiences will react with emotion to an animation. Yes. Uh, and particularly the scene that is really very dire after uh, Snow White eats the apple and all of the dwarves are around her crying in the uh, little hut uh, and then they move her to the glass coffin Um, and it's just extremely interesting that they were so concerned that people would have, uh, it would be very hard for them to have the same emotional response in animation. Brett, I think you have a a section marked. You know, if you remember in the Neil Gabler book when they were this was a reminiscence of Ward Kimball who said but the highlight is Ward Kimball put it um Clark Gable and Carol Lombard were sitting close to him. <laughs> Can you imagine? Okay, you are this animator, and you know the biggest names in Hollywood are next to you, and you're just yeah. hoping that this works. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so it's, it is that scene where um, the dwarves are crying, you know, and he said that. Um, let's see. That when Snow White was poisoned, stretched out on the slab, they started blowing their noses. I could hear it crying. That was a big surprise. And then, yeah, so that was, and they were, uh, everyone in the theater seemed to be crying and dabbing his or her eyes. So that's when she died, but also the tear scene as well. It's just really interesting um, that they were, that that was a concern of theirs. So I thought it was a unique uh, point to, to bring up. By that point, but I you, have that, a, you had your audience. I think that's been the secret to Disney's success. Same with Pixar. Uh, their emphasis on 
uh, emotions and storytelling and connecting with the audience. Mm-hmm. That's all what it's and real about. world grief. You know, yeah. like they they deal they deal in that real world, and uh, you can make fun of how many people uh, their their parents are dead uh, before they sure. we even see them on screen right. uh, in the Disney movie. But the reason why they do that is because it, it does humanize their characters in a way because they're dealing with some grief and some loss. So these funny uh, you know dwarves that have been sneezing each other out of the window, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, dopey or, or even grumpy, getting his his face clean, uh, their feet. Yeah, you know, yeah. all of that. Uh, you can take a, a minute and feel the emotional impact that these characters bring. So uh, just a really unique and interesting thing uh, about the film. And it's, I mean, he set up that formula and that formula has continued, um, you know, where you have the, you know, your, your leads and then you have your fantastical side characters that keep you laughing and then at the right moment come in and bring that emotion. It's still going on today. Mm-hmm. So couple of last questions. Uh, first, where do you rank this in princess dumb? Uh, is this one of your uh, when you when you think about Snow White as a princess, where do you think that she ranks uh, among them? Um, and for me, you know, I uh, Snow White is one that's it's always been there. So it's uh, I I would rank her pretty high, really. Uh, she gets uh, she seemingly has a long line in the parks whenever I see her. Uh, she looks really uh, great in the parks and she's always in that Germany pavilion, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, she, to me... Which is not a, a Disneyland or uh, or yeah, mm-hmm. other places. That's right. There, yes. There's only one Snow White uh, that travels yes. magically. And she, has the, and she has her dinner now at at um, at what used to be Artist Point. So she has that more, dinner More there. on that later, Brent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, but Dominic, what were you going to say? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to go on the tangent, but you just reminded me. I, ha- I had to bring it up on this in the parks, the Snow White and Evil Queen are excellent. Oh, have excellent. you seen Some the, the Evil Queen that's like, yes, it's on YouTube now. Oh my gosh, yeah. I'm sorry, I, I yeah, I know. have it's to bring amazing. it up. Yeah, and give them it's credit. Like, Those park you know, actors. I've, yeah, and I've known some evil queens in my life. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. So. That's the, that's mm-hmm. the tagline for this whole, for this whole episode. <laughs> so I mean, um, but no, in in going to the Halloween party, mm-hmm. the, one of the longest waits at the Halloween party is to get a picture with all seven of the dwarves, yes. which only happens yes. during that yeah. that mm-hmm. special party. So oh, there, we're talking uh, about Disney World. Imagine. Go ahead. <laughs> but just it's all things Disney, kids. That's what it, that's what we talk about. All things Disney. <laughs> yeah, just so. <laughs> didn't mean to. No, no, that's DJ. okay. So no, I just no. need to get to Disneyland so I could have a frame of reference to talk about. Oh, yeah, well. But Brandon, where do you think she ranks uh, among the princesses? So I it's mean, that scene. In it, terms of, you could do this a lot of different ways. It could be like the scene from Wreck-It Ralph two. You know, like um, you know, last last one out wins. You know, it could be a battle royale, or it could be you know whatever you want it I to mean, be. That's hard because you're. It's, hard. it's different eras. It's different. It's I apples mean, and oranges, I mean, or apples I mean, and apples. I mean, of, I mean, of course. <laughs> Well, that's good. This, this, this dad approves of your dad jokes. I mean, so, I mean, of course, Belle and Ariel and Jack. I mean, of course, they they're much more developed. They're much sure. more um, they're much more independent as opposed. You know, even even Princess Aurora and Cinderella are more developed than Snow White is. Sure. They get backstories at least. You don't get much backstory on Snow White. Um, I mean, in well, terms she was of fourteen, she yeah, lived long. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean, in terms of respect and in terms of the fact that she was there. You know, she's got to be high up on your list. 
I mean, but I mean, if you're if you're ranking in terms of like a full fleshed out character, she might not be toward the top. Yeah, but it, it a just woman with simple you're... needs, and she got what yeah, she wanted, yeah. baby. You know, yeah, it depends <laughs> on what your criteria is. Yeah, I'd say. Oh yeah, I'm, I, it's a very hard. You you look at me and you go, yes, Brad. Well, okay, I like the yes, film, but as far as the princesses go, not my favorite. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> not Don't my favorite. I, I I will still. You know what the the best part about going to Walt Disney World and seeing Snow White what is, is that? that the the caramel uh, shop is like right next <laughs> door. You can go and get some Werther's original Germany. You can get some uh, popcorn in Epcot. It's it's just wonderful. I'm sure that that bathes her in relief. The chance go get caramel after you've said hi. That's right. That's right. Uh, any final thoughts on? Snow White as a film. Uh, Dominic, you're the guest here. We'll let you go. <laughs> well, like, uh, ranking among the princesses, like, like they've said, is hard because, you know, you took the words out of my mouth. There's not a lot to her. You know, she's she 14. 14. She's the youngest princess. Wow, she wears a lot of makeup, but it was the 30s. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but, you know, even though I was, you know, was critical of the design. <laughs> you know. Lips is you know bears yeah the metal thing the magic well, thing but her design is iconic you know while I was critical of the way they animated realistic humans that design persists she's immediately recognizable and when like you said at the parks everybody wants to see her you know she's almost as much of a mascot as Mickey is and I don't mean that in mm-hmm. a bad way mm-hmm. when you think of a Disney princess she is that perfect image of one in your head and she uh, like I said earlier kind of created that visual language that whole, you know, all those tropes, you know, a lot of those start with Snow White. So in a way, you know, you, you got to give her credit for that, even if she's not as developed as some of the later on princesses. You know, obviously a very different time, you know. I mean, she was written, what, you know, 20 years after women could vote. So, <laughs> yeah. so you can say that the princesses reflect their times? Oh, certainly. Certainly. To a certain bit, yeah. to a certain extent. Okay, Yes. Brandon. Oh, final thoughts? I mean, so much came because of this movie. I mean, you wouldn't have The Wizard of Oz because of this movie, because the movie did so well. The Wizard of Oz said, hey, this could work if we tried this. We can have color. Yeah, we can have color. Um, the movie bankrolled Disney. I mean, during the lean years, because the film, the movies that follow didn't do as well, the um, the profits from Snow White helped to finance the Disney company for years. Built the new so, studio. Built the new bank. studio. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at the, Snow White was the most successful sound film of all time when it came out. Sound was 11 years old at the time. Wouldn't hold the position for long because next year a little movie called Gone with the Wind comes out. But, um, but, well, fiddle dee <laughs> But, yeah, it just, uh, it's... It, its place in movie history is firmly there and will always be there. And the fact that it's not just its place in history, it's a good movie that still works. Mm-hmm. And I think that's its lasting legacy. Now, did, they, did Walt get a full-size Oscar and then seven little ones, or just seven little ones? I can't a full-size. <laughs> he he got his own full-size, but then okay. the seven little ones, it was they were just well, it's like, No, they were, well, it's like, it was, yeah. have you ever seen it? Yeah. It's, yeah. And Shirley Temple presented it right. to him. I love that video. You know, That's a great video. The, and look on Walt's face. Yeah. Well, he was, I think that there's, and I, I didn't really read it this time around, but I heard that he was, he, um, he was very much hoping that it would be nominated for best film. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that this was a little bit of, 
you know, uh, it, patronizing. It, yeah, it was slightly. Yeah. It was, it, he didn't feel he felt good for the camera, but and was not as happy. And he's, he still holds the record for the person grumpy. with the most Oscars. It was all for <laughs> the shorts oh, yes. and specials and everything. And he wouldn't get his Best Picture nomination until Mary Poppins, which would have been 25 years after this. But so. just, just incredible. Uh, you you saying fiddly D that reminds me that like uh, kind of randomly in the film, and I know that it was a catchphrase at the time, but uh, one of the dwarves goes, "Well, Jiminy Cricket," and I was just like, I was I was thinking to myself like, a preview of what's oh coming. wait wait that's kind of a preview here. <laughs> yeah, I did a little research on that too, and it was kind of like it was. Uh, uh, you would say, oh, Jiminy Crickets, it would be the same initials as uh, if you were taking the Oh, okay. yeah. That's um, really funny. Which I did not know until today when I was doing that research. I'm like, oh, Jiminy Crickets, where did that come from? So, because it's in The Wizard of Oz, too. Yeah, it is. Well, there so, you go. But anyway, um, my final thoughts? Your final thoughts, sir. Oh, my sir. gosh. I could have final thoughts on this film for such a long time. It could be its own miniseries. But I will just say that, again, loved it as a child, love it even more as an adult. It is a classic. It is where everything came from with the Disney company and with animation for the Disney company. And I am very thankful for everyone that had something to do with this. That's so nice. The fairest of them all. Oh, that's nice. Even though she didn't rank very high amongst your princesses. Well, I'm like going, it's just an aesthetic thing. All right. (laughs) Last question. And then we're going to get out of here. Okay. Which dwarf are you? Oh gosh! Ooh. Which dwarf am I? Hmm. Happy, happy. Okay. Easy, easy answer. But I would say it's happy. not an easy answer. I'd say happy. Happy is optimistic. Happy is okay. Um, is yeah. Mm-hmm. Happy, happy makes sense to me. Happy, Brandon. I'm a happy medium between Doc and Bashful. I would say Doc. I was going to go Doc for you. That would have been mine. Dominic, where are you at? Oh, that's a little tough. I feel like sometimes I'm Doc, sometimes I'm dopey. Depends who I'm in the presence of. I could be a little bossy, and then other times I'm tripping over my feet just trying to look grown up. I uh, I strive to not be sneezy in this weather with the, with the allergies. But, uh, probably, I, I think we all have a little bit of dopey in us, so uh, okay. love him the most, I think. Yeah. But thank you so much, Dominic, for joining us again. You're always welcome back every time uh, that we talk about animation, which yeah. happens all the time. So <laughs> It's a pleasure to be on. Yeah, absolutely. And so what's interesting about, and you said this is a commercial for Disney+, Plus, but it's going to be so much easier easier in about 60 days to be able to go and revisit all of these classics. Everything. And uh, I'm going to try to set it out to be my goal, to, to watch them all in order, because I can't. You know, so wow. we'll see. Well, Ooh. Is it, uh, is it Even, 67 yeah. of them now? 68? Well, if you include like Melody Time and Fun and Fancy, Fancy Free, Free and all that stuff, make too. Yeah, all that, yeah. Which are great. Which are I good. Yeah. I like Fun and Fancy Free. I had the VHS. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. And Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Yeah. So it'll Which be... I haven't seen and I, you know... Oh, it's cool. Oh, I, I have to see one. that because... I ride the ride at Disneyland every time I go. <laughs> Which is like every other week. He gets back from Disneyland, folks, and then two days later he's posting about how he wants to go to the Disneyland Halloween party. And I'm, just, I'm thinking to myself, 
No, he might actually go. He might. You never know. <laughs> you never, never know. know. He might, he sold might out actually already. Go. Okay. We'll visit it via YouTube. Uh, and Brandon, nice to have you enter into the Beyond the Mouse house to, sure. to talk a little bit Disney with it's us. Uh, we always love having you on. Um, your classics are back up and running. What what do you got coming up? Well, we just released Blazing Saddles last month. This month, actually, tomorrow night, uh, Jeremy and someone new to the front row, Eric Flick, and I are going to be discussing Vertigo. That's awesome. Oh, that's a good one. So we're looking forward to that. And then um, holidays are coming up. So I'm hopefully in October, I'm finally going to get around to doing a Universal Monster movie, one of them. So we'll see which one. <laughs> yeah. And Brett, what are you up to in the in the future here? How many trips do you have planned? Do you have I something know, to you announce? Know, I'm like, no, well, no, no. I have the, I'm like right now, I'm in the three weeks past my last Disney experience, which included D23 and uh, Disneyland. Clink, anyway. And uh, and so now, right now, I'm living in the three weeks ago today, I was doing the so-and-so. But actually, three weeks ago today, uh, I was... Uh, what was that? What was I? Anyway, uh, yeah, Were I was you? at D twenty three. I was I was with the John Stamos party. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> anyway, John Stamos and uh, and Imagineers and Disney storytellers, and it was about Disney storytelling. Oh. So that was that's what I was doing three weeks ago. And then I had a wonderful evening with my Canadian friends. Shout out to that group. <laughs> so anyway, so that was so that's what I was doing three weeks ago. Probably I about a, a Disney vacation. The afterglow lasts about four weeks. And then I have to go into what am I going to do next? So planning mode, right? Yeah, you, you, gotta, you always have to be planning yeah, uh, so. for sure. <laughs> uh, as far as we are concerned at the front row, uh, we have a really huge announcement uh, that's going to be coming up very shortly. Maybe uh, might have been even before this dropped, uh, but we're going to have some fun in November. So it's going to be a really great time. Uh, Brett's looking at me. <laughs> I know. I'm just so excited to find out what we're doing. <laughs> you haven't. Uh, you haven't been following along our thread, actually. I I had to tag you in it the other day to try to get you to respond because really? yeah, you probably hit that mute button, didn't you? <laughs> didn't you? I've still been in Disneyland. Oh, D23 Expo oh, 2019 okay. at the Anaheim Convention Center. I can say it now. But uh, thank you all and cannot wait for uh, you to find out what that is and you too, Brett, after we get off the yeah, board. I can't wait and, to find uh, out. And so follow along with us at the, the Beyond the Mouse Walken. Facebook. <laughs> follow along with us at the Beyond the Mouse Facebook page. Also, the Front Row Network page. Uh, and we will see what we have coming up soon. Ooh, I'm uh, so got excited. Trip reports. We've got yes. other movies to do. And uh, just moving into the, like, the, the best time of year. We've been talking, I've been talking to Lou Hare a lot about doing a Guilty Pleasures crossover with The Haunted Mansion. So we'll see how that goes, too. Uh, but that could be a really fun film to dive into. Oh, this is exciting. I'm Isn't so excited. It's so exciting. So for Beyond the Mouse, I am. I'm Craig. I'm Brett. I'm Brandon. And I'm Dominic. And we will see you real soon in the front row. Thanks again, sir. That was a lot of fun. Was fun. Was oh fun. my gosh. Yes. I love being on. Yes, cool. thank you. I, I, was, deep. I could talk about this all day. Yeah.